Hello and welcome back to The Big Run. Today's guest is a native New Yorker. He's a director as well and is known for evocative commercials, documentaries and music videos that span a range of clients from Nike to Spotify, Vampire Weekend, Gap, Uber, HBO, Adidas to name but a few. He's also a very passionate runner, a three-time marathoner and has just established an online resource for news and articles about sustainability. It's called Future World and it's described as a hub for Earth-friendly articles. Now, one of the most recent posts that was penned by today's guest was called The Running Community Has a Waste Problem. It really caught my eye and it aims to start a conversation around the perishable nature of performance running shoes and what can be done to address the issue. I'm delighted to have him on to discuss it further and delve deeper into this very pertinent issue. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to The Big Run, Daniel Novetta. So, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on The Big Run. Um, really, really excited to talk to you and get, get stuck in because I feel like there's going to be there's going to be a lot to discuss in, in, in this episode. Um, but before I touch on, on the article that kind of grabbed my attention with you, I'd love to sort of dig into your background as a runner first, because like, I know you're a, you're a three-time marathoner. So when did your relationship with, with running begin? Uh, yeah, well... First off, thanks for having me. Um, and yeah, my relationship with running began in sort of an odd way. Um, <clears throat> I had sort of hit a point of desperation. Um, I was a smoker and I had just spent a week on holiday and had certainly been, you know, smoking as people do on holiday. And I just felt like I was in the grips of of this sort of habit and I needed to get myself out of it. Um, and I had tried a bunch of different things before, but one of the things that I did on this long drive home, like a five hour drive was listen to an audio book from Haruki Murakami called uh, What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And he had also sort of struggled through, you know, breaking this habit of, of being a smoker and so I got home and grabbed uh, a random pair of like, I think it was tailwinds or daybreaks or something that were just sort of in the house. And they weren't really great running sneakers, but I went to the track um, that was a couple blocks away from my house and just tried to make it around four times. And I think I barely could, um, you know, running like 12 and a half minute miles <laughs> uh, on a track and and yeah, just I sort of came to running through trying to get to the other side of being a smoker for a long time. Mm. Um, yeah, and then just slowly but surely uh, started to really enjoy it and feel the the joy of of challenging myself and seeing the gains. Um, and then someone at uh, the job I was at at the time for the secret Santa, the Christmas sort of like random office gift, um, bought me the book, um, a non-runner's guide to, to running a marathon. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, it's the middle of December uh, here in New York. So maybe uh, I'll start in February. Um, I started on February 2nd with the with the training for it and the closest marathon that was four months away was I believe June 8th in Indiana which was super flat um 
and the finish line was the 50 yard line of Notre Dame football stadium, which is like a classic, uh, you know, college here in the States. And, and so that was it. I, I sort of went for it and that was probably, that was 2008. So 13 years ago, um, you know, I ran my first marathon with a relatively modest time of 3.56.50 maybe. Um, but at the time I was, you know, something like 27 or 28. <laughs> so a lot younger than I am now. But uh, yeah, that was sort of how I got into it through like challenging myself to get out of smoking and, and having someone just sort of dumped this challenge in my lap at my office secret santas hey gosh <laughs> what a, what a, what a gift to be given and to sort of like you know sort of grow the uh cultivate the seed of your kind of your running your running life and then you went on to do do another two marathons and so what was that journey then that that sort of 13 year period as you sort of fell more and more kind of uh enchanted with the sport like were, were you taking it more and more seriously sort of getting a bit more sort of focused with your training and your approach to it yeah, I sort of just, I would say, kept it casual and, and you know, was was sort of like a 10-mile weekend runner um, for years. And um, after that first one, uh, you know, I started to get myself out of smoking cigarettes, which was great, and sort of haven't turned back. Uh, and at one point, my wife knew that, you know, I grew up playing basketball and have a big passion for basketball. And so she was like, look, why don't you try and look for some adult leagues for basketball? Um, and so running sort of became sort of counterpoint to playing a lot of basketball. And so for years I started, you know, playing basketball and, and running casually, like on days that I wasn't gonna play basketball or, or whatever. And then I would say maybe five and a half or, five and a half, maybe six years ago, um, I tore my ACL playing basketball and needed to have reconstructive knee surgery. So as soon as I, as soon as that happened and I went for the surgery, I sort of set a goal to myself that I was going to run the New York marathon a year after the surgery. Um, and so I did. Um, so like five years ago, I ran my second marathon in New York, um, 13 months after reconstructive knee surgery. And that was, you know, I mean, for anyone who's run the New York marathon, it's, uh, an experience you'll never forget for the rest of your life. You know, it's like, it's as hard as it is, it is a euphoria that, um, will sort of never leave me and I can I can recall in my mind pretty clearly um and then I was just sort of hanging and and same thing just sort of like running and being like intermediate sort of runner and doing like weekend 10s and 12s and I did a couple of halves um in between then and and then you know, I had just sort of randomly entered the lottery. I got the email for the New York Marathon Lottery, and I had I had entered the lottery many times before and never gotten in. And then I guess in 2019, I was selected, um, and my work schedule was super crazy. I didn't really have time to do it, but um, I did it anyway, and um, had and wasn't really super prepared to do it. Um, 
and I, I guess I was probably like 38 at the time. And I tore part of my calf muscle six weeks before the race. And it was just bad. Like things were, seemed like it wasn't going to work out. And my, my real goal was to finish sub four, um, which again, is not like a remarkable marathon time, but um, even with some cramping in the Bronx and just sort of like trying to will myself to the finish line, I ended up running a 359.30. So finished 30 seconds shy of, of four hours. And, and I feel like that was like the sort of like, thank you for whoever, whatever powers that be are looking out for me, um, for helping me like hit this goal, sort of like against all odds, you know, I've never been the fastest by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, I definitely feel like I've put in the work, you know, and what a comeback as well from from the ACL and then and the calf ripping as well. Like and and that's the thing with marathons. You say, you know, it's not not an impressive time, but that's what I love about the marathon things. Yeah, you can get bogged down in times and you know, I'm obsessed with sort of sub three at the moment or various other times. But the the great thing about marathons is that just taking part and completing them. Because when you tell people outside of the running community, like I've done a marathon, no, the first reply is never, What place did you come? Like no one's interested in your positions and ranking. It's just such a such an achievement. And whenever I see any, regardless of taking part in them, like whenever I see any footage of marathons, I find it like you say, like that. There's a euphoria. There's like an emotional kind of thing that happens with these mass participation events. They're 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 quite something. And I imagine as well with with marathon training. There's the question of mileage and with mileage we come to shoes and I'm kind of using that as a bit of a segue to, to get onto what first um, kind of caught my attention with you, Daniel, um, is your website, Future World, where you post stuff about sustainability and about the environment with a focus on fashion and sneakers and, and all that kind of stuff. And there was this brilliant article that was titled the running community has a waste problem and i feel like a lot of runners you know will have certain branded shoes in their rotation that have very short shelf life so what what compelled you as a runner to put this article out there and and start this conversation because it feels like one that's really really pertinent right now that a lot of runners will resonate with yeah i think that there's a lot of layers to it. Um, and, you know, as someone who now is trying to just do a hundred miles a month, um, I'm burning through sneakers pretty quickly. I run in, and I know that this is like something that, you know, people have opinions on, but I, I run in vapor flies, um, vapor fly next percents. And they are more of like a, a, a race shoe than like a, a training shoe, but for me, they really help sort of decrease the, the impact and trauma on my knees, which I need because of the carbon fiber plate. Um, I like the shoe. I do run in different other pairs as well, like some, some you know, Invincibles and some Infinity Reacts. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reason why I wrote the article was that I was just noticing that I was just burning through sneakers super quickly and the upper on the shoe was in nearly perfect condition um, and could probably go on for five times the lifespan of the midsole. Um, and I just feel like, you know, especially 
because I'm, I'm, you know, working on this future world project and created this, this sort of editorial platform. It feels like all these brands want to talk about their level of environment, environmental responsibility and commitment, which I applaud. And I think we have to sort of support those initiatives because if brands don't see us participating in them, they won't continue them. Um, but I also just felt like, look, we have to acknowledge that the running community, and no one needs to feel ashamed of this, we just need to come up with a solution, but we definitely have a waste problem. I mean, I have stacks of running sneakers that I'm not even sure what to do with at mm. this point, you know? Um, there's not really a great take back program. I can give them back to Nike and they'll regrind the soles into, you know, other soles and, and uh, you know, uh, be able to put them into surfaces for playgrounds and things like that. But why are we wasting the uppers on these shoes, you know? Um, and so I've, I've been a big advocate for interchangeable parts and sneakers and conceiving of sneakers to have these sort of extended life cycles by being able to make the parts easier to separate, which makes them easier to recycle, et cetera. But yeah, I just felt like, why can't we have this conversation? The running community is like, I mean, I've been, I've been involved in a lot of different communities as a filmmaker, as a basketball player, um, you know, just, just I'm pretty active in New York. And, um, but the running community is incredible. One of the best communities I've ever sort of been around. And so how do we take this opportunity, these super passionate people, and try to make some waves and draw attention to this issue for brands. You know, it's like, if we can demand it, brands will give it to us. So I felt like I wanted to try to start rallying people. And there's a phase two of the article that's coming as well. And I think I'm hoping that it's gonna get people individually more engaged in showing what the wear on their sneakers looks like. Um, and I know that this is a long-winded answer. And the last thing I'll say about it is just that my, you know, I um, supinate. So I run on the outside of my foot now, which wasn't always the case. Um, so I'm even wearing through sneakers faster. Um, and yeah, I get it. That's like, that's sort of my problem. You know, obviously I'd be able to run longer on them if I had perfect form. Um, the reason why I run on the outside of my sneakers, I think is to overcompensate for the knee issues I've had over the years. And I'm also running in a sneaker that's not, doesn't have a super wide base in the forefoot, but I don't think that we should be, you know, feeling bad about ourselves because like we have these detriments, 55% of runners either over pronate or over supinate. So we are in the majority you know, the majority of runners don't have a perfect strike. Mm. So we are going to chew through sneakers faster. So yeah, I felt like we needed to sort of call attention to it. I think, oh man, there's, there's, there's a great response and there's so much to unpack there as well. And I think that the real key thing is like, is not forgetting the agency the running community has in order to shape change. Because ultimately, not to be too, well, to be a bit cynical about it, the, the brands and the, the, the big stakeholders, they want to go where people's attentions are and if people's attentions on mass are about sustainability and sort of environmental uh, credentials then that's where they will go like I feel like 
it's important to remind yourself of, of that because we have power in saying, you know what, I don't want to, to buy those shoes. But it's a double-edged sword as well because the running community loves the performance as well, particularly with those shoes, the um, the Vaporfly. Like they are, you know, almost prerequisite at, at any race um, at all. So it's it's finding it's finding that balance, isn't it, of, of still providing that performance that the runners want but also acknowledging the fact that they need to be more sustainable and it's interesting about the supination thing i supinate as well um and it feels like something that if you're saying you know with those statistics it's something that's quite common like if they're design led which brands are surely that's something that they can acknowledge within the design like obviously i'm not a shoe designer i'm not claiming to know but you know maybe a bit of extra rubber reinforced in that area so that it prolongs the shelf life as well like i feel I feel it's really, um, it's really, it's something that potentially they they could fix as well. And really interesting as well, what you were saying about the replaceable parts as well. Like that feels like something really interesting and celebrating the craft as well. Like, I, w- could there be? I mean, would the, would it be an idea that we could have like I don't know, like a, like a cobbler or something in a shoe store that you could go in with your busted up Nikes or whatever the brand is and be like, okay, can I pay X amount of money to get a new sole fitted on and keep the upper as it is? Yes, is the answer to that question. That's how I imagine it would work. I mean, the 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 uh, trade of being a cobbler has, you know, been a part of footwear for as long as footwear has existed. So it's like, yes, I do think that having that sort of honesty and transparency around replacing and seeing that person and knowing who that person is in your local brand store, I think actually sort of strengthens the engagement with the consumer. I also think that to your point, like, I think when you're getting your midsole replaced, you can say like, Hey, I want, I over supinate. So can I have a set? Like I'm going to pay for this version, like as if it's a left, right Mm. or a supination or a pronation version, you know, and, and you can continue to sort of refine what's right for you as the consumer, the brand, honestly, like I've, I've done some just sort of like gentle polling of what people would pay for that replacement sole and like people are willing to pay up to a hundred dollars just to have the sole replaced, you know? Mm. So, you know, I think, I think, you know, brands always seem to be intimidated by like these types of ideas. Um, It feels like to me, it never really gets, it doesn't really get like a warm reception Mm. um, when I, when I, you know, put ideas like this out there. Um, and, and other things that I've sort of like presented over the years. But um, I personally think like it, it strengthens the bond with the consumer. Um, it makes the consumer feel like the brand cares more. It gives them a greater appreciation for the craft that's going into it. Um, it shows them, you know, uh, yeah, just that, that, that there's, a, there's a, a consideration that the brand is making for them um and when people feel like that they stick with a brand you know um so 100 percent. like it inspires a kind of loyalty that they could never get with an advertising campaign like i am a big believer there's various brands um that i will i will preach about and defend to the hilt if i am um, invested in them 
in, in terms of what they do. Like um, there's a particular company that makes the backpack that I wear and it comes with a lifetime guarantee and they'll repair all faults. And this is a company based in the US. And I will tell anyone that will listen about them because that level of care inspires. I mean, you, you, you're basically creating like a mini army of people going out being sales reps for your for your company. It feels like a no brainer. And like the, the idea of having going to a, a, a shoe store and having a cobbler on site like what an experience like what a physical experience to to have so why why do you think they are so resistant then the brands to these kind of ideas because it feels like it would just benefit them massively uh that's a great question i don't know i mean like i've i sort of did like a light look into the liability of it um and it doesn't you know all birds or Vesia is doing it um on a small scale in some stores internationally where they're replacing the soles on their sneakers i think like you know it it would have to be something where you know like like take apple for example they partner with authorized uh repair shops or so i think there just has to be like a level of training in place to make sure that these quote unquote, you know, cobblers or people that are involved in that that moment of replacing the shoe are doing it in a way that doesn't present any liability mm. to the brand as far as like, um, but I don't, I don't see that. Like, they can definitely solve that, you know, like they can definitely workshop that. And yeah, I just, I don't know what the, I don't know what the reluctance would be. Um, I had never really seen it presented before, obviously. So um, it feels like none of the brands have had to really react because the groundswell, I mean, it is our most popular post on Future World in the whole time we've existed. So I do know that a lot of people, you know, from many of the brands saw it, um, but no one's reached out and no one has sort of like made any meaningful contact about like, wanting to workshop the idea or put it into practice, et cetera. So we'll see. Um, yeah, it feels like there needs to be, it's such a shame because it feels like, it does feel like such a, such an open goal and rather than the brands because you know there's this whole thing of like greenwashing that brands do where they kind of wave their environmental credentials sort of for optics rather than the nitty the nitty gritty of it do you think do you think that's like what they prefer to do is kind of put out something oh this has been made from 20 percent recycled bottles rather than like actually getting down to the nitty gritty and doing the hard yards to make it like truly sustainable yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's where we are currently. I think it's very much like everyone feels like they need to wave the flag, um, but no one's willing to build the real foundation, you know, um, in a meaningful way, in a substantial way. It's it's great to see brands experiment with these one-off projects, um, you know, with the sneakers that have the certain you know, waste recycled components, et cetera. But if they're making 2% of their sneakers in that manner and 98% of them in an irresponsible uh, or in, a, in a, a, a manner that doesn't have any sort of level of real responsibility, then that's not helping anybody. You know, we need to tip that scale to 50-50 as fast as possible. And we need to get it to 100, you know, even faster. So it's like, 
I think I think it's just easy to make the declaration and not easy to do the real work. Um, and that's that's why I'm trying to, you know, spark a lot of those conversations. I think one of the things that I've noticed in the in the space that future world plays in is a lot of people are quick to point out the negative things that brands do, et cetera. But there's not a lot of solution minded um you know ideas being being sort of brought into the space and everyone is so quick to take a negative mm. approach and demeanor to this stuff and call people out but like that's not going to move the needle you know we need to i believe inspire people through great design creative storytelling good ideas and actual solutions things that we can start a conversation about like this conversation we're having right now you know mm. i want to have these chats in the running community and i want this stuff to be felt by the brands um i don't want to just say the running community has a waste problem and that's the end of the article yeah. you know like what's the solution and are they real solutions um how do they work practically and and will people embrace them and what we saw with the article was that the engagement was crazy like off the charts people really feel the same way you do like why aren't we doing this why aren't brands taking action um this seems like a great idea you know um yeah and because I, I think it get it will get to a point that people you know myself included these shoes aren't cheap like these shoes aren't cheap and if you are committed to running and you've had a profound experience with it like yourself you know getting you off smoking and having that euphoric experience with with the new york marathon coming back from surgery like it's a it's a love that runs deep do you know what i mean and you will want to keep sort of you know keep up that relationship and to do that it requires buying these shoes but it'll get to a point where the relationship to to sort of weigh on that analogy will become toxic because you can't keep just burning through all of this cash every three months when you get north of 300 miles and your knees or your ankles start to hurt like i feel like there will well hopefully there will be a watershed moment where people will just say en en enough is enough and it's interesting this the sort of greenwashing the uh, the sustainability credentials with brands i don't know about you but i feel like I would resonate more with brands if they were a little bit more honest when it came to sustainability, saying something more like we're trying, but we're not perfect. Like it feels almost like when you hear we're doing everything we can, it's 100% recycled, zero carbon. It, it just feels a little bit too good to be true. And I feel like a little bit more kind of honesty and humbleness from brands would also make people engage with it a bit more. Do you, do, do you feel like that would be a, a good place to start a bit more sort of openness about them, their practices? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, there's been a lot of polling on that in recent years, and especially the younger consumers, and even, you know, sort of my peer group, people want to spend with brands who are being honest, who are, you know, sort of unlocking greater truths around their supply chain, et cetera. I think, I think like you're saying in many, in many instances, it sounds and most likely is too good to be true. And we've seen that with some brands sort of making declarations. And then as time has uh, sort of moved on, we've seen that those declarations, you know, we can poke big holes in them. Um, and so I think like, it's going to take a minute, you know, um, and 
as much as I don't want it to, um, I just think it's going to take a second. But the the more we celebrate and and champion these brands who are moving further in that direction, the more other brands will feel like they need to catch up. And and one of the things that I just wanted to throw out there about when you were talking about cost, because I think it's really important. You know, it's like the beauty of running is that like in many ways, hopefully it's like a, 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 a low cost sport to get into for many people. You know, mm-hmm. when, when I first started running, I didn't really have much expendable income and most people don't start running in $275 yeah. running sneakers, you know, and, and as I've, you know, started to chew through sneakers at such a crazy pace, like, I really think that brands really should consider how, you know, they might even be making this cost prohibitive for some people. And one of the things that I've even seen is that I, I feel bad about how much I churn through sneakers. So sometimes, you know, at 200 miles flat on these vapor flies, the side of them are destroyed like as you've seen in the pictures Mm -hmm. on on the story and yeah thankfully I can't afford to buy a new pair but like sometimes I'll milk them just because I feel bad because I know that they're they're gonna go Mm. you know they're done so I'll I'll keep running on them even though like I'm wearing through into the carbon fiber plate and then I start to feel like some shin splints or whatever and it's like if you have runners who are continuing to try to extend the life cycle of their sneakers because they're wearing out too fast or because it's cost prohibitive to spend another $275 every eight weeks, 10 weeks, like people are going to start suffering injuries and Mm -hmm. getting hurt. And is that what you want people to have as the takeaway for your brand? Like that? Yeah. Like, these things run burn out really quickly and they make it sort of cost prohibitive. And now I'm injured, you know, like when you talk about ambassadors, we are ambassadors for these performance companies, the shirts that we wear, like, you know, the shorts that we wear, the socks, the compression sleeves, the, like the watch, you know? Mm. Um, And yeah, I mean, truly. And, and so I just think about it in that regard too. I think like, if I were at a brand, I would care a lot about all of those layers of it because I think that it comes into play. Um, and an injured runner tells everyone that they're injured. You know, it's yeah. like it's like a <laughs> sob story. They got to go to a therapist. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're sitting in the dark for months at a time. Like they can't get their life in order. You know, like I've been there. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure my 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 partner, my wife would uh, would certainly attest when I was out for two months at the beginning of this year. God, I, I think she wanted me to uh, to shut up a, a lot of the time. It's interesting as well. And I know I know people listening will be thinking as well just to play devil's advocate is like oh why is he just running in vapor flies why doesn't he get another shoe but i think i think that's true of other shoes as well i think that the rule still applies it might be a hundred miles more but like i've been in that position where i'm, I'm kind of holding on you know for the next bit of money to come in as a, as a freelancer so that i can get that that shoe and i can feel it going i can feel it in my knees they're hurting a bit more because that foam is is giving out and why 
should there like if they if they can provide shoes that cater for specific needs so for example the vaporfly for for racing and you've got you know the endorphin speed for like for training and then you've got like other shoes for easy days and you've got shoes for stability as well like why can't they have a shoe that caters for that level of comfort but also a sustainability um credentials as well like it feels like the market is there the appetite is there like it yeah again it comes back to that thing it feels like a a no-brainer but like you say it's it's about having these conversations and driving that engagement so that they will take notice and i mean do you find like because obviously future world is um is one thing that you do but you also work in in commercials and, and when you're actually working with brands and and they are you know talking perhaps when they're pitching you a, an advert or a commercial and then maybe there's like a green slant to it like do you find that um do you, do you notice that or like on a, on, a, on a daily level when you're working with them that slightly um it's more about optics rather than actual kind of um pushing through change or do you have to do you have to bite your tongue i suppose as as a, someone who's engaged with them as, as a director or a creative well unfortunately for the brands that work with us i'm not very good at biting my tongue um <laughs> Uh, and I think that, you know, uh, I certainly celebrate truth in advertising. Um, and so we don't, you know, we're pretty clear about like trying to not work with brands who are, I mean, we don't do fast food, meat, dairy, pharmaceutical, anything like that. So I, I'm really like on the path of like, let's tell good stories and let's, make things that we're proud of. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're working on a project right now and, and I I definitely try to steer the brands away from falsifying any statements, you know, Mm -hmm. and they know that it's in their best interest to do the same. Um, So yeah, in a way I, I sort of am coming at it from two sort of disciplines, one as like an arbiter of truth, and the other as like, how do we make this stuff exciting for people uh, as a as a commercial advertisement, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a way to there's a way to celebrate the wins and and really lift those things up and and make it about that, and then also be willing to acknowledge that you're not perfect, you know, that we haven't reached this level of you know complete success on all levels but that's okay like I don't know you know I think we have to be willing to say that I mean the first post for future world was basically our mantra which is progress over perfection you know and it's like look none of these things that we're going to post about via future world are perfect like if you want to be fully sustainable stop buying stuff altogether you know Mm. like like so, we, you know, we want to be upfront about those things, but we also want people to feel like, you know, everyone wants to still feel cool, no matter how old you are, you want to have some, most people do. Um, that's what sort of moves the needle culturally. Um, and so if there's not a, a, a hub for cool products that are aiming to do better, um, it doesn't feel exciting, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll never, we'll never see brands take meaning, make meaningful commitments for the long run if they're not getting a positive response 
from consumers. And so to me, it just felt like, okay, let's try to, let's try to create a place where, you know, brands can try to do better and we can celebrate those wins and acknowledge that these products aren't perfect, but it's a better choice than the all synthetic leather or the, you know, pig suede pair of sneakers that like someone wants you to buy Mm. that doesn't take, doesn't take much into consideration other than trying to sell you something that you don't need it's i think that's that's the great strength of future world as well as as this sort of aggregator site to collect to combine everything it gives that sense of a more of a groundswell when people can see stuff en masse rather than the occasional thing that might pop up in their feed or whatever social media platform they're using it gives that sense of oh, okay there's there's more momentum behind this i think I'd love to as well. You were talking a little bit then about about storytelling, and this is kind of off on a tangent, but this is more out of my own curiosity and you as a, as a creative and working in in advertising. I mean, you're talking about storytelling and working with brands when you've got a fixed period of time, be it a commercial or a thirty second spot on TV. Like, in terms of your process, how do you distill that story down so that it does hit with the viewers? but it's still true to the brand. Like what is, what is that process? What is that workflow for you as a creative collaborating with a brand? Like I'm, I'm just genuinely quite curious about how that works. Yeah. I mean, lucky for us, we see a lot of product projects that um, are brands that we know quite well, you know? Um, And so I'm always trying to put myself in the middle of it first. What would I want to see? what feels fresh to me, Um, you know? uh, So I I always sort of just go with my own instinct. I've been around great advertising my whole entire life, just as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, seeing the Nike, you know, Jordan era and the Converse, Larry Johnson and Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and all the great athletes that have come through all these various brands. Um, And so, yeah, I just feel like I'm a, I'm a product of being marketed to and advertised Mm -hmm. to and in a big way Um, and like pre-internet as well, which I think is important. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I, I just try to put myself in the middle of forgetting about what, um, convention would tell me to do and what would actually excite me about this product about this you know story uh, what would bring me in what would hook me quickly what is a great sort of thumbnail that would bring me in if I saw it on social media that would make me want to like look deeper into the to the content Um, yeah how do I just sort of like do something distinct Mm. Um, I often will research like what a brand has done previously and then present to them that we do something that feels like it came from the same world, but is very much different and feels like the outlier of the content so that people, you know, have something that's sort of quote unquote, like sticky. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm just always trying to like put myself inside of it. What would excite me? Um, what are some of the things that I'm not seeing? What are what is sort of like a, a sort of cohesion of of multiple sort of uh, platforms coming together? 
um, whether that's, um, you know, just sort of different ways to, to interact with the content and try to make people excited. How do you take it off the page and put it out into a public forum? How do you get people excited about it so that they want to share it? You know, I think I'll tell you now that like for the next phase of the, the running story, we're asking, which we haven't done yet and we're about to do, is we're going to ask runners to send in pictures of their worn out sneakers and their statistics and sort of like personalize that for people so that people can show what the wear and tear on their sneakers look like. And we can all as a community sort of like start to see the data that each of us are accumulating and the wear that we're all getting off of sneakers. How many miles did you get off of this? How old are you? What is your, are you pronating or supinating? Like, you know, um, what brand sneakers are you running in? So that it doesn't, that story was my story, you know? And, and I was trying to relate it to the larger running community, but now I want the larger running community to like chime in also. Mm. Um, and so I just think about, you know, fun ways to just sort of like shake things up and, and it, I guess it's been working, you know, I've been doing it for 15 years. So, um, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And just touching on your last point as well. Like I feel that, you know, a lot of runners listening would, would happily surrender many pictures of their worn out souls as well. And it also makes me think as well, like, surely you've got to reach out to Strava, like where people are actively logging their mileage and then retiring their shoes at a certain point, there must be a whole data set of brands and particular models and the amount of mileage individuals are reaching before before they're retired like that feels like such a a potent data set that everyone hugely subscribes to in the running community you know the mantra of it's not on strava did you even run like <laughs> like you know i wonder if there's a way to get access to that data i feel like that would be like that would be like the smoking gun almost for for, for this kind of movement hey strava if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> call me no i think i think you're right i think that that's one of the things that excites me too um i've i've you know thanks to my business partner alan in future world like he is a data-driven individual and i think that you know as i've as i've you know obviously come to realize for brands data is in many ways the most valuable asset these days and so so I think it's exciting for us to, you know, try to find this cross section of user experience and data and make that inspiring um, and make that useful in a new way. Um, because I think, you know, that's something that brands are clamoring for. And I think these stats can sort of like unify us all. Like, like you're saying, like if, if, it, if, you, if it's not on Strava, did you really run? it's like you can't dispute the data, you mm -hmm. know? And I think that that's what's interesting. Okay, cool. Are we all really only getting, you know, I mean, I, I run in invincible runs also, and I'll get probably 260 miles out of those maybe if I'm, I'm lucky, you know? Um, so I'm not only running in Vaporflies, but like if this is the data and it's indisputable, we have a problem we need to solve, you know? And I think that that's like, what I'm trying to get to and what I hope that like the article inspires is that people want to share the failure of 
this pro these products that we all love and are willing to spend insane money on, but we just want them to be better. And it's not like uh, no one needs to feel ashamed about it. I'm trying to get people at, at the brands to be inspired to help us problem solve it collectively, make the community a better place, you know, make it more environmentally responsible. I think that's like, it's our duty, you know, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's it's not about it's not about shaming anyone. It's about collective responsibility in order to, like you say, shift the needle. And I think, you know, when this this second part of this article launches and, you know, people in the UK, if you, if you do have um, bat pictures of your battered up souls and, and Daniel is looking for them, please uh, send them his way. I think there's there's agency there and the data is out there to to be used and and to be uh, to be shared in order to to shift that that needle um daniel that feels like a really nice place for us to, to end our conversation um i urge people to check out future world because it's a really really great resource of of all the, the different things not just within running within fashion and with clothes and, and with apparel that, that are happening right now it's a really great source for people to to check out what other brands and companies are doing so i urge you to to check that out i'll be putting a link to that in today's show notes but yeah daniel thank you so much for coming on and being such a brilliant guest on the big run yeah my pleasure thanks so much dan uh danny or daniel or whatever <laughs> you decide to move with beyond this um i really appreciate the time and you know shout out to the running community certainly one of the best communities that's out there and um in in my small slow way super grateful to be a part of it Big thank you to Daniel for coming on. And uh, yes, if you are listening, Strava, I think that is a, a right data set that needs to be delved deeper into. Imagine, imagine the volume of information about people's running shoes, the amount of mileage when they are retired and based on people's own running habits and abilities and how they uh, impact the trainers that they wear on their feet every day. I think it would be a fascinating, uh, fascinating study to, to have a look at. Um, I will be linking Future World in today's show notes for people to check out. It's a brilliant, brilliant sort of aggregator site of, of everything that's happening around sustainability within fashion and sneaker culture and, and running and, and everything in between. I, I really recommend you checking it out. And again, big thank you to Daniel for, for taking the time to come on the show today. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at the Big Run Podcast. And if you are able to and are injury free, get out there and get running. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.